for that good news that we have this morning. That our God is for us, not against us. And Father, we are so thankful for the goodness of the gospel. The good news that Jesus Christ came, that humanity might know God, might encounter God, but know God, and might be transformed by God. We just thank you so much for your goodness, Lord. We thank you so much that you continued to pursue us with your love, even when we were unlovely. And Father, even though you knew us, you still loved us. And we're just so thankful, God. We are so thankful for your blessings. And we love you too. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, amen. It's so good to see you this morning because if you weren't here, we'd be lonely. And uh, we know that you've had awesome Christmas time. It's just a special time of year. We love Christmas time. And, and so uh, I know that you've had an awesome time as well. So you got your family and then you got your faith family. And they're both special. Amen. And so this is, this is my family. Uh, we, we have a, a big group. We don't meet at my house anymore. Praise the Lord. Amen. So, <laughs> no, we love it. We, uh, uh, there's, there's, um, four generations there. I believe. Yeah. Three, four. All right. So anyway, we got a, we got a large group and my family is so super special to me. And, um, uh, we've got, um, We've got tradition in our family. We always meet on Christmas Eve. The, the, whole boo, the whole big group will come in on Christmas Eve. And uh, as far back as I remember, that's what we do. Uh, now, I, I'm not traditional in many things, but I'm ultra traditional when it comes to our family Christmas. And uh, for a season there, I wanted everything to be exactly the same way that it was. Uh, you know, and, and, and I, I know why we do that. Uh, it's because it was so special to us and the most precious time in our life that you don't want that to change. And so sometimes we do church the same way. Uh, in the most special time in our life, uh, that experience that we had in that style of church was, was, was so meaningful. We don't want that to change. But here's the thing. Times change and, and things have to change. It's just not an option. And so with our family, we used to go to my aunt's house in Trinidad. Well, Times change and things happen, and I got to adding it up how many different locations we've had, and I just lost count uh, since my childhood going to my aunt's house in Trinidad uh, to this last week. There's been numerous locations, and early on, as we had to start changing places that we met, I was not happy about it. I was just upset because my fondest earliest memories of Christmas was driving, uh, it became real as we were driving through Malakoff. And they had the little tensely things hanging on the, the telephone poles. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I had the lights wrapped around them in Malakoff. And man, that's when it got real because Trinidad's next. And uh, it, we were going to have a time in Trinidad. And, and uh, my grandma would, uh, would have a, a record uh, she had a big old uh, thing. Uh, what you call those things? Uh, yeah, those things. Record player. It had eight track in it. And I, it's it's at my house now. And the record was Little Drummer Boy. And I remember Grandma playing that. And man, I just didn't want anything to change like that. But things change, and, and it happens. And so I got to just thinking over it uh, that day, that day with my family. And I thought, you know what? The places aren't nearly as important. It's the people. The places aren't as, 
That's not the tradition. That's not what's so special that we're trying to maintain and hold on to. It's not the place. Those things, those things have to change. It's the people. It's not the style. For when I was a kid, it was a lot, it was a lot smaller. Well, kids have kids and that expands and grows. And so it's not the style. It's the people. And so this morning I want to talk about our family faith. And so I pray that, that you have a family faith and that your faith is getting passed through your family. And, uh, and, and how can we best do that? Uh, but first, we need to understand what is most valuable, what is most important. Uh, we have a, a friend, Miss Iris. Miss Iris is, uh, has a house. It, it's full of all kinds of stuff. I mean, uh, very valuable stuff. She's been a, a long-serving missionary, and people have given her beautiful things, crystal things over here and there. Well, when we first started going over to Miss Iris's house, I was, I, was, I was a little concerned because I got two little bear cubs called boys and I'm like, and I will threaten them with the loss of their life. I will, you break something in this house, I will murder you right on the spot. You know, I just, <laughs> and so Ms. Iris could see that she, that she could tell that I had already warned my boys and, and I'm like, y'all settle down. And uh, she said, darling, ain't nothing in this house more valuable than you. Yeah, you say amen, but I was like, hey. <laughs> but no, that's the truth. That's the truth. We need to check what is most valuable. And you know what's most valuable? People. People are most valuable. And, and, and as we look, I want you to turn with me to uh, Colossians. I'm sorry, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is, is helping us, as he's speaking to this awesome church in Ephesus, he is helping us to uh, know what it is to live as a Christian. So verse 1 actually kind of gives you the setting, kind of gives you the point that he's trying to make, and then 2 and 3 tells us how to do it. So in, in verse 1, it tells us, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. So Paul is in prison at this time for his faith. Beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. In other words, okay, so you bear the title Christian. I want to encourage you to live a life that is reflective of the name. Amen? That sounds, that sounds good enough, right? So you're going to bear that name. I want you to live a life that bears the name. Quick story, uh, illustration I used to use all the time, hadn't used it in a while. The Alexander the Great was the greatest uh, uh, conquering, uh, conqueror in, in the world at the time of uh, Greece. And so he is at a young age is just, man, his armies were going forth and conquering great land. He was a, a, a mighty conqueror. So, so he, he's sitting there in the throne room kind of judging things and then someone brings to him a young young man so this young man comes and the uh, he asks what is the accusation well the accusation sir is that he fled in the face of battle well his heart was broken because as he's looking at this young man this is a, a handsome young man just strong good-looking guy and, and he said what what did he do he fled in the face of battle. And, and so what is his name? So what is your name? Alexander, my Lord. What, what is your name? Alexander, my Lord. He said, son, either change your conduct or change your name. Oftentimes we stand before our Lord and he says, what's your name? Christian, my Lord. 
What? Christian. I bear the name of Christ. He said, well, either change your conduct or change your name. He says, I want to see you walk worthy of the name. Amen. Amen. So as we walk worthy of the name, verse two tells us what that means with lowliness, which is humility, with gentleness, with long suffering, some sufferings longer than others <laughs> as we bear with one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Amen. Here's what he says. This is a life worthy of the name. Christ has put his name on you. Here is how you walk worthy of that name. That you walk in humility and gentleness with patience. Bearing with one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit. What is it saying? The relationship is more important. Unity is more important. No, being right is more important. No, the relationship is more important than you being right. Amen? Now, if your wife brings you to mind of my sermon, next time y'all have an argument, ain't my fault, all right? Because <laughs> she will remind me. Uh, remember, the relationship is more important than you being right. No, I need to be right. But anyway, we'll still be good in the relationship. Bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Everybody say bond of peace. Bond of peace. Do, do we not want our families to be bonded together in peace? Is there nothing more gnawing in our soul than when the people that we love most are in conflict? It, it just gnaws on your being when there's conflict and tension with the people you love. But maybe, maybe we continue in the bond of peace. Well, that word love is the word. I want you to turn with me to the next book, if, uh, Colossians. Actually, two books over. The book of Colossians, chapter 3. Colossians, chapter 3. It says, therefore, uh, is verse 12. Colossians 3, 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved... Put on, as if you were putting on a robe, putting on clothes. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another. You'll notice these same words pop up over and over again. Why? Because this is the life worthy of the name. Amen? Amen. Humility, meekness is putting others over yourself. Long-suffering, being patient says it in verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. So you also must do. Yeah. Now, verse 14 though, says all that good stuff that I already told you, that was all good stuff. But there's one that's more important than all of that. Verse 14 says, above all things, put on love. Amen. And then you'll hear this word again, same that you heard in the previous passage, which is the bond of perfection. That word bond, it's the glue that holds us together. Love. Amen. Love. Love is the proof of purchase. Now, when I was a kid, I, I first came to understand proof of purchase from the back of a cereal box. So, some of y'all might know what I'm talking about. On the back of the cereal box, they would promise you this amazing piece of plastic. And, uh, 
And that would say, if you would send in 20 proof of purchase or something crazy like that, and there on the back would be a little old old square, and you would cut out that square. I remember collecting those little proof of purchase. I vaguely remember maybe mailing in a bunch of proof of purchase. I do not remember my piece of plastic. I don't remember getting that toy in the mail. But I became aware of there's a proof of purchase. Christian, you have a proof of purchase. There is evidence that is on your life. There is an evidence that you are a Christian. So what is the evidence? The evidence is love. In the book of 1 John, the whole book of 1 John says, if you have God, you will have love. And if you don't have love, you're not of God. It's pretty pointed. In fact, it says, if you claim to be of God, but you don't have love, you're lying. That's what I said. Uh, You can read it for yourself sometime. In fact, when I have people who question their salvation, and they struggle with it, they say, I just don't know if I'm saved or not. I say, read 1 John. Take the book of 1 John and take you a pen and every time it says the word no, K-N-O-W, you circle that and you pray through as you read the book of 1 John. It says this is how that we might know that we know him. And how you know that you know him is that love is pouring out of your life. Amen? That word evidence gets tossed around quite a bit in religious circles. And, and, and I want to tell you something. There is an evidence of your faith. There is an evidence. So the first Corinthians chapter 13 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm a clanging brass or gonging brass, or clanging cymbal. What does it mean? I am making a lot of noise. I, I am speaking eloquent words, but it, because the, the life doesn't match the words, though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, though I'm speaking with these heavenly words, but my life doesn't back it up with love, I ain't doing nothing but making noise. Is the evidence. So, though I have the gift of prophecy and, and, and I have, then I can heal the sick and that I can have the faith to move mountains and I have not love, it profits me nothing. The evidence of a child of God is love. Amen? Amen. I want you to turn with me now. This will be our last passage to turn to if you have your Bibles in just the third John. If you go to the book of Revelation, back up two pages. Or maybe one page. And so in the book of 3 John, it's a tiny little book. It don't have chapters. It is a chapter, and that's it. In the book of 3 John, there's a, an awesome passage that uh, I, I preached this sermon just a few minutes ago. And uh, after the service, a lady came and said, you just preached the most, my, my most favorite verse of Scripture. And she said, and I just had a sign made with this verse of scripture on it and got it for Christmas. And so it was pretty special for her. Here's the verse. Verse four, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Amen. Amen. Ain't that good? This is Christmas time. And what was the message that the angels gave as they, as the clouds filled up with angelic presence and, and the, and the, the, the sky just shone bright with the glory of God. And they said, behold, we bring you good tidings of great joy. Amen. I like joyful Christians. I'm frustrated with Christians that are sour pussies. Look like they've been weaned on pickle juice. I, I, I struggle with it. I struggle with it because joy is another evidence. It is a fruit of the spirit. So if you have the spirit, you have joy. 
peace, love, joy, these words keep popping up over and over again, but joy is proof that you're a child of God. Now Jesus comes along and says, I'm teaching you these things that your joy might be full. And he goes, guess what? Teaching them about love. He says, love, I want you to love one another. The world will know you that you're a Christian by your love. And he starts teaching about love. He says, if you have, if you have love and if you love, you will have joy. Amen. How one works with the other. And so here in this passage, scripture says, John, John says, there is no greater joy than to know my children are walking in truth. How many parents can testify to that? Amen. I'm over here worshiping the Lord. In the first service, it just dawned on me as I'm over here worshiping the Lord. It dawned on me that I used to lead my kids in worship. And this morning, my kids are leading me in worship. Amen. <laughs> Isn't that cool? And, 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 and I, don't, I don't coordinate the songs that we sing with any of our worship leaders. I don't, I don't do that. I let the Lord do that. And he does it so well. And so as my sons are leading us in the song, The Blessing, I am blessing my sons. Don't you know that's the way it's supposed to be in the family of God, that, that there's that, that reciprocation of faith back and forth, back and forth. I want you to know that uh, as I've, I've been considering this and how that we can have family faith, uh, I'm going to give you a, a very deep spiritual truth. So I'm going to sound that way. And you're going to think I got it wrong when I said it. But catch this. The family that plays together stays together. Don't sound right, do it. Don't, don't you mean praise together? No, I mean plays together. The family that plays together stays together. See, uh, Brother Vic, uh, he's such an awesome man of God who's been serving the Lord longer than I've been alive. And, and he raised two sons who, one of the two sons had two sons and the other two sons had, I think, three sons and lots of boys in the family. And, uh, and he said, uh, he said, I'll just give you some advice as a dad. He said, just always have fun with your kids. I'm like, man, that's okay. Thank you. And then as I, as I began pondering on that, I'm like, that's really good advice. That's really good advice. Always have fun with your kids. Now, of course, me being uh, me, I, I try and put things in the way that I can remember it. And so here's how I, I say it. A family that plays together stays together. In other words, if it's enjoyable around the household, you're going to have more time with them and they're going to receive what you say a whole lot better than if it is nothing but rules and regulations. When rules, let me, let me say it this way, let me say it the right way. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. All it is is rules, rules, rules. We're light on love, but we're heavy on rules. You will have a rebellious child. Everybody good with that? Everybody understand that? All right, rules over relationship. You still have some relationship. It might be a little cold in the household, but there's some relationship, but you better mind the rules. Rules over relationship lead to resistance, but long enough resistance will lead to rebellion. Still get the same result. Okay. Let me put it this way. Catch this one. This is a little different. Religion over relationship will lead to your child rejecting your religion. When your child wanted your love, but you had some nice little spiritual quote 
Now, I, I play, let, me, let me lighten the mood because y'all just got real tense in here. <laughs> I used to play with my kids uh, uh, and joke around with them. And, and now I, I know what it is, and I've seen it many times in a lot of religious households. And, and don't, I'll come back to that. So uh, when, I, when I mean religion, here's what I mean. Rules, regulations, repetition. Rules, regulation, repetition. Religion and relationship with God are two separate things. But when I mean religion, that's what I mean. So with my sons, I would mess around. I'd quote scripture with them. And it was in a joking manner, and they knew it. But I would love to quote this proverb. And it says, uh, uh, whip your child and they will not die. <laughs> Beat them with a rod. And, and uh, we had fun with that because... Because, uh, you know, I will whoop my kids. So, anyway, <laughs> beat them and they shall not die. And I quote scripture with them and we have fun like that. But, but I have heard a lot of households quote some little spiritual thing. And there was a, a lack of love in the household, but a whole lot of religion. And what that leads to is that child rejecting your religion. Because what they wanted was you love. And you gave them some, some neat little package quote that was supposed to fulfill that need in their life. It won't and it never does. And now because they, you got religion and, and, and pushed religion when they really wanted you, now they don't want your, you or your religion. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. They want your love. And packaged in love, they will receive your faith. Amen? Here's, uh, here's uh, I love Cody, and he's doing an awesome job with youth ministry. And we've got those teenagers about to go on a youth trip. And uh, I've told people over the years, youth ministry is easy. It's easy. I love youth ministry. I thought I was going to do youth ministry my whole life. Here's, here's youth ministry. Make sure they have fun. And while they're having fun, feed them spiritual truth. Because when things are open and we're enjoying ourselves and we're having fun, we receive truth. But if I'm going to come up here and lecture, 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 here's the rules, don't do this, quit doing that, y'all cut it out, stop, stop, stop. Now they don't want to receive anything you got. That makes sense? Y'all yeah. with me this morning? In the household, if you want to have more influence on your children, make sure you, they enjoy time with you. Household, a family that plays together has more opportunity to pray together and it will inevitably stay together should be enjoyable. Our households should be places of refuge. Our households should be sweet places in which no, we don't run from it, we run to it. Amen? And so if our family is going to have a heritage of faith that gets passed down from generation to generation to generation, we need to make sure that relationship is so vitally important and that we value that individual over rules regulation, ritual, repetition, that we recognize that there's a relationship with Christ that will be received by our children if our relationship with them is so sweet and so precious. Here's another thing. I was doing this study and it is about first generation Christians, second generation Christians. What I mean is, is let's say you were raised in a household that was not Christian. And somewhere along the way, you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You would be then a first-generation Christian. Everybody with me? You then raise a household in which you lead your children to the Lord. Now they become a second-generation Christian. Everybody tracking? 
their children be, if they become Christians, third generation Christians. Now, the retention rate for a first generation Christian is super high. In other words, uh, you wasn't raised up in a, in a spiritual household, and yet you met Christ. He transformed your life. The likelihood of you walking away from the faith is pretty small. However, your children being raised up in now a Christian household, you would think would have a more likelihood of continuing in the faith. They actually have less. They have less. The next generation has even less. The next generation have even a less likelihood of continuing in the faith. So that don't seem right. They were raised up in, here's one of our religious quotes, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. How is it that they walked away? You trained up in a child, and see, we can use these quotes. We trained up in a child in a way that they would go. Why would they walk away from it? Just know that these are proverbs, not promises. So I'm going to hold God to his word. It's a proverb. It's a, it's, a, it's a wisdom statement. Let me tell you, here's the key to it. I believe this is the key. I believe this is the key for a good faith handoff, a good transfer of your faith. If your faith is passionless, it will also lack persuasiveness. That first generation Christian, he knows what it is to be lost and the transformation that happened when he got saved. And, and so the, he cannot deny what he experienced and will most likely not walk away from the faith. His children, I'm just using he, I'm using he because I had this conversation with my parents this week when my dad got saved in 1980 and the transformation that happened in his life. His children will see his passion and because he is so passionate, because there was such a transformation in his life, that passion in his life will now transfer to his children. Now, if this passion begins to dwindle, so will the persuasiveness of the faith. It will also dwindle. In other words, well, that's my daddy's faith. That's my daddy's religion. But I'm a, my own man. You see what I'm saying? It, it, if your faith is so passive, so weak, so passionless, uh, it's not going to transfer well. It's not going to transfer well. Here's what needs to happen. Each and every one of us needs to have a radical transformation experience when God so drastically changes our lives that it, it, it engulfs our life. It, it makes everything different in our life. If, if that didn't happen for you, uh, let me just tell you, it can still happen for you. And so that when your life is transformed by Jesus Christ, your kids know it. I was fishing the other night with my dad, and he said, well, in 1980, I quit cussing, drinking. Uh, he was drinking a lot before then. Uh, smoking, dipping, and gambling. Except for raising cows. That's gambling. So that's what he said. <laughs> Except for the cattle business, unless you know my dad. Except for the cattle business. And that's how he said it. And I know what happened in 1980, and I know that he's exactly right. He got saved. I was six years old, and I remember the transformation that happened in his life. Y'all that know my dad, he's in Sunday school class right now. Uh, he, since he ain't in here, I'm going to talk about him. And uh, <laughs> he normally sits over there, and uh, he's this rough, gruff old cowboy. And uh, yet, my dad, when I was growing up, since it's story time, I'm telling you all my stories. 
When I was growing up at Carolina Baptist Church in Walton, before we came to Sand Springs, we came to Sand Springs when I was 12. So I must have been eight, 10 years old. My dad taught a children's Sunday school class because I was in that class. Now, you would think of Joe Graham as that is so far out of character. That is so far out of character for him to teach a children's Sunday school class. But it was important to him that his faith got handed down to his son. And it did. Amen. It did. It, it, how is it that we're going to have a good faith handoff, a transfer of our faith to our children if we have zero passion for the Lord, if our life is just religion, if it's just rules, regulations, repetition, and ritual, if that's all it is, without the relationship with Jesus Christ, without the true relationship of an intimate walk with God, I'm going to tell you, it's a less likely chance that that faith is going to get handed down to that generation. Why? Because your faith isn't very believable. It's not very believable. But I'm telling you, if Jesus Christ has lit your life on fire, that fire will spread to your children. Amen? There was a, a man who was a, 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 an up-and-coming evangelist. He was doing amazing, doing a great job traveling around, doing evangelism work. And uh, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't know his name his first name, uh, unless I tied his last name to it. But he, he was very, uh, very good at what he was doing, and God was blessing his ministry. When he received a phone call from his wife, and she says, Honey, if you don't come home, you're going to lose your family. He said, This boy is out of control, and he needs his dad. And so the guy walked away from ministry, quit. I mean, didn't walk away from the Lord, but he quit evangelism. He came home to raise his son. You may, if you've been uh, in, in Christian circles for very long, you most likely will know the name of that son, and his name is Dr. James Dobson of Focus on the Family. That boy that was going away from the Lord, uh, a little rebellious, uh, little punk, <laughs> daddy said, my most primary, my most primary responsibility is to make sure I have a good faith handoff in my son. And he came home and raised little Jimmy Dobson in such a way with a good, a good spiritual foundation and loved that young man, that that young man, now Dr. James Dobson, has had more impact on families than maybe anybody ever before. Amen. Let us make sure that we recognize what is most important. And I have to make sure I, as a pastor and a preacher, recognize that my primary responsibility is to, to father and to pastor my family. And I've never, never failed to make that clear in this church. My family comes first. My family comes first. If I kill over, this church would have a new pastor in a matter of months. Maybe days. It, it might be real easy to fill my spot. <laughs> but they wouldn't have another daddy. That's my responsibility. A pastor who fails with his family. See, here's the thing. There's a primary responsibility, and this goes for every dad. And then there's a secondary. My secondary responsibility is this church. If I fail with my family... I am disqualified with this church. Yes. 
I don't like that word disqualified. Uh, I've been disqualified before. Rodeo and I got disqualified when I didn't mark out my bucking horse and I touched my bull one time. I got disqualified. It's, I mean, it's always the best ride you ever made <laughs> when that yellow flag comes out and you find out you got disqualified. My family, if I fail there, I am disqualified and I'll have to step down from this church. Why? Because it is that important that my faith gets handed off to my sons. And as we were singing the blessing, I was praying the blessing over my sons, over the next generation, my grandkids, and the next generation, my great-grandkids, and the next generation. It is that important. We must recognize what is of ultra importance, and that is relationships. Relationships are super Vitally important, even in the eyes of God. He made sure it started when he started having a relationship with Abraham. He said, Abraham, I want you to make sure your faith gets handed down to your, grand, your kids and your grandkids. And then the next generation says, make sure it gets, gets handed off to your kids and your grandkids. And this is the way it's supposed to work. Amen. Now, I'll close with this. We uh, had our family Christmas again, and, and on New Year's Eve, I mean Christmas Eve, I keep saying that, Christmas Eve is our big day, and, and uh, I've got a sister-in-law, and she's just super sweet, and she made ornaments with the names of our family members who have passed away on the ornaments. Uh, trying to make me sad, I reckon, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, there's my mama and my papa, my grandma, my grandpa, my cousins, my aunts. There's this boy with our family that have, have since passed away. Now, as I was spending time out there walking around talking with the Lord, I was reminded of one of the greatest gifts God gives us when it comes to relationships. And that is, in Christ Jesus, our relationships are eternal. Eternal. I want to say that one more time. Eternal. In Christ Jesus. Why is it so important that my faith gets handed down to my kids? Because I want to spend eternity with them. Why is it so important that my grandkids get it? Because I want to spend eternity with them. And my great-grandchildren, because I want to spend eternity with them. And why is it so important that I know of the faith of my grandparents and my cousin and my aunt and my uncle? Why is it so vitally important to me? Because they are not lost to me. You don't lose something when you know where it's at. And you don't lose somebody when you know where they're at. Amen? In the first service, I had forgotten that my phone was in my pocket. I said, Bruce, would you step right inside that door? And to the left is my, my cell phone. Would you grab that for me? And I, I didn't lose it. I knew exactly where it was at. Amen. Well, I know exactly where my grandparents are at, where my aunt and uncle are at. I know where they're all at. Because one of the greatest blessings God gives us in relationships that are Christ relationships is that they are eternal relationships. 
Amen. So when we get sad because all of our traditions have changed and, and, and it's not like it used to be and we don't meet at the same place anymore. And, and, and let me just tell you, that's not what it's all about. It's not about those things that we do. It's those people that we are getting to share Christmas with. It's not about the Christmas gifts that are around the tree. It's the people that are around the Christmas gifts. Amen. It's not about the presence or the place. It's all about the people. And the great gift that God gives us back into those relationships that he said, I want you to handle these with care. I want you to handle with care. Because this is what it looks like to live a life worthy of the name. is to make sure that you handle relationships with care. He says, here's what I'm going to do for you in those relationships that you handle with care. I'm going to give them to you forever. And so if we're sad because one of our loved ones has passed, let's get glad because they have not passed. Not if they're in Christ Jesus. Because he gave us a gift. And that is an eternal relationship. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, the greatest relationship we ever have is one with you. And then you make possible for us to have relationships with other people. And then you encourage us to handle with care. Father, I pray that we would put value in proper places. That what is most valuable, we will hold with highest esteem. And in relationships are eternal. So why would I put temporary earthly things above eternal relationships? And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to properly, properly evaluate all things around us. And relationships goes to the top of the list. First and foremost, our relationship with you. And then the trickle down as we have relationships with other people, may they, may they be Christ-saturated and Christ-centered. And Lord, I pray that we would properly manage and value these relationships and treasure them. Father, thank you for what you're doing in this church, what you're doing in this city, but above all of that, what you've done in my family. We just thank you. For you are God and you are good and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have an invitation time and I want you to stand with me. The altar's open and we're going to have our altar team at the front. And if you need prayer about anything, anything at all, you need God to touch your life. You need God to do something in your life. He does that by working through his people. God works through people. And you can stand back there and pray and and and. and God might just answer your prayer. But I, me, if I got an area that is of a great need, I want to make sure, I just want to nearly guarantee my prayer gets answered. And here's what he says to do. He says, if you're sick, come before the elders of the church. Let them anoint you with oil and pray over you. And the prayer of the righteous man will save the sick. He says, I want you to confess your trespasses one to another. Wait a minute, I'm supposed to do what? Yeah, you're supposed to come together as the body of Christ. Because what are we? We are a faith family. And he says, I work through people. 
So you need prayer, you come forward. You, maybe you just won't come pray at the altar. You can do that. But you just make sure that whatever God's laying on your heart, you do business with the Lord and don't delay as we worship. <laughs>